0: Today is February 19, and our chapter reading for today is Deuteronomy chapter 3. Before we get into chapter 3, I want to go back and finish chapter 2 because I ended yesterday without finishing chapter 2, and there is a major player that is referenced throughout the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, and his name is Sihon, Sihon. He was the king of Heshbon. Heshbon is an area that you would know by the name Nebo. It is near Mount Nebo and the modern city and ancient city of Madaba. Madaba is just off the king's highway that runs north to south And if you're going to understand Deuteronomy and follow along, you've got to understand something of the geography of the land. And there are two kings that are mentioned that again are mentioned over and over again in the material called the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the words of God to us about the story of God. One is Sihon, who is mentioned in chapter two. He was the king of Heshbon. He came out against the children of Israel, and God gave him to Moses and the children of Israel and all of the land and all of his possessions. They continued their journey north as Moses recounts this, and when they get into chapter 3, Remember, there are no chapter headings here. This is just a narrative, a historical account of what took place. But there is a divide. But what Moses is doing is telling about how the land was conquered east of the Jordan River. And the allotments that were given to the tribes because of God's great mercy and grace in giving them victory over the enemies that had come out to destroy them and to fight them. And so the first one that was conquered was Sihon, the king of Heshbon. And then as you make your way north, you come to the next division, which is Gilead. And then you have the division of what is called Gilead or the ancient country of Ammon from Lot and the incestuous relationship with his daughter, one of them. The other was Moab from Father. That was Father South that we've already covered. That's the area of Heshbon. But now we're going to cross the Yarmouk River and into the land of Bashan. Habashan, the Bashan. It is today called the Golan Heights. And it starts at its southern plateau at the Yarmouk River which is a natural divide. It is a huge, huge, deep ravine and canyon that separates what seems to be a natural divide between two countries, and it was in ancient times as it is today. Today, it is the separation between Jordan and Israel and then between Syria and Jordan and Israel. And as you divide and go north, the Bashan, as it is called, and Amos said it was great pasture land, and even called the women the cows of Bashan because of the extravagance of their lifestyle. And if you were a cow and you lived on the Bashan, on the Golan Heights, as it is called today, you had a lot of pasture land. It is a beautiful plateau, and you can see the entire 35 to 40 miles on a clear day. Many days I have stood on the southern plateau, almost as far south as you can get to the Yarmouk River, and even down in the basin where the Sea of Galilee is called Canarit In the scripture, the little harp, if you will, is the Hebrew translation of that in Hebrew meaning. But I have stood even in the plateau and looked up the great Syrian-African rift and have seen Mount Hermon, 9,200 feet above sea level. That is the end of that Golan Heights area, or it would have been the border of the Bashan and with Syria today and then. This is an incredible piece of real estate and all of this was given as part of the inheritance all the way to the Euphrates River over to the sea in Lebanon and none of that has been realized except during the days of Solomon and King David when it reached its highest expansion levels and came the closest to the children of Israel claiming all the land that God has promised to them and I said has promised to them because it is yet to be fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled because God is faithful to his word. And I know this is a lot of geography, but you need to read the Bible with maps in hand if you're not familiar with it, and most are not. I've been teaching over there this year, 44 years and walking this land, driving this land, going up and down from north to south, east to west in Jordan and in Israel from the Syrian border all the way down to the Egyptian border and the border with Jordan and Saudi Arabia. I know the land well, and so sometimes I take for granted that others might as well. But I'm trying to lay this out for you. If you've got a map, you need to start all the way down at the Red Sea. The Red Sea, not the Dead Sea. And uh, you need to make your way north. That would be up on the maps. You would go as far right as you could, and that is... the beginning of the King's Highway. Now this was a major thoroughfare, north to south. The first thing you would do is you would cross the Zared, the Zared Canyon or Brook then the Arnon Brook, and then you would be between the Arnon Brook on your maps, and then to the north, you would go all the way to the River Jabuk, as we call it, Jabuk. That would be the next canyon or major borderline. That was part of the ancient borders and the modern borders. And then the next divide would be the Yarmouk River, and then it levels out into a plain that rises above the great Syrian-African rift. On the other side of that Syrian African rift, on the other side, the western side of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River that starts at the foot of Mount Hermon and runs all the way to the Dead Sea, was the hills of Naphtali in the north, the tribe of Naphtali, and then the rolling hills of the Galilee. Galal is the word for roll. Galilee, I roll. And a gal is G A L, is actually the word, the ancient word for a wave. And if you are standing on the Bashan, the Golan, and you are looking toward the hills of Naphtali to the west, or you're driving along the Syrian-African Rift Valley as you can today, past Hatsor, which was the chariot city of Solomon on the western side guarding the Hula Valley, then you will see that the hills of Naphtali look like waves that would crest, and then they'll fall very sharply, the mountains will, and then they'll rise up again gradually and then they will crest and they look like waves that you would draw out. I personally believe that's why that area is called Galilee, I roll or I wave, W-A-V-E, like an ocean wave, not like waving your hand. This is why, over and over again, I have said to people, you will never understand the Bible unless you understand it in its historical, geographical, linguistic, cultural context. The Bible is a Jewish book. It is written by Jews, to Jews, primarily for Jews, and it is written within a historical framework. And it is written within a geographical framework. It's written within a linguistic framework. It has a cultural context to it, a distinctively Jewish cultural context. And Americans are, by and large, we have been, since our beginning, European in our thought patterns. We're Greek, we're Roman by descent. We don't think like a Middle Eastern Jew. Because of that, we have these skewed ideas About how things are done. And what I'm trying to do is get the Church of Jesus in America and in the West and Europe back to its Judaic Hebraic roots, because then and only then will we understand the Bible in its context. And it affects everything we do from how we establish the government of our churches to how we carry out the mission of our churches. We are way, way, way overboard in some areas. And heresy, it turns out, is nothing more than truth out of balance. You see, the most damnable heresy are those that contain 90% truth. There are many things that are half-truths, a lot of truth, but it needs to be truth if it's going to be something that we're going to base our lives upon, and something that we're going to base our eternity on, and something we're going to base our churches and how we operate. This is true in every aspect, and so what I'm trying to do is lay out for you a geographical grid because geography is important to God. The land of the Bible is inexorably linked. You cannot exercise them. You cannot cast out one and the other. The land and the people are inexorably linked because the promises of God to Abraham concerned a people, a nation, in a particular land. This is why, historically, the Uganda plan that was proposed to Theodore Herzl by the British, that during the days after World War I, that they would give the British and the World Zionist Congress, after it had been formed in the late 1800s, early 1900s, in the meetings they presented to Theodore Herzl, who is called the modern father of Zionism, when the great movement started back to Israel, they proposed to give him, because the British controlled most of Africa at that time, at least one of the European powers that did, and they owned the area which is now called Uganda, and they offered that beautiful land there to the Jews, and Herzl was going to take it. But the World Zionist Congress rejected it. Why? Because you cannot separate the nation of Israel from the land of Israel. This is critical. And so the land of Israel is not just what's called Israel today. Land swaps can go back and forth. But the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to the people of God goes all the way to the Euphrates River in the north, to the Mediterranean, to the west, out into what is called Arabia today, and then all the way to Egypt in the south. These early inheritance portions that were given to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, the half tribe of Manasseh, by the way, if you take the half tribe of Manasseh, which includes the territory that was taken from Og, who was the king of Bashan, who God defeated, then Ephraim, the son of Joseph, and Manasseh, the oldest son of Joseph, if you take their two portions and put them all together on both sides of the river, they had the largest portion of all. It was God honoring Joseph and his faithfulness. Isn't it wonderful to know that God never forgets anything but our sin? And that doesn't mean he gets cosmic amnesia. It just means that God no longer lets that have sway over us. But God remembers the good things. And what Joseph did in his faithfulness, God remembers. And God honors And I'll tell you, that's an encouragement to me. I hope it is to you as we make our way through Deuteronomy and we see these portions that are given and Moses in the end of chapter three tells about how he is forbidden, how he begged God, asked God over and over again. And God finally said, it's enough, Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Well, we know Moses is with the Lord because he appeared to the Lord Jesus with his friend Elijah, who lived hundreds of years later. They were acquainted, and they are acquainted, and they met with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration up in this northern area that I'm talking about of the Golan in the area of Mount Hermon. And they talked with Jesus about his echodas, about his echodos, King James and others says about his death or his decease. No, it was about his exodus. It was his way out back to heaven through death. You see, that's what death is for the child of God. It's our exodus from this body of bondage to a brand new, wonderful existence with God and a glorified body that's awaiting us. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp.